0: So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn to Philippians. We're going to our focal passage is actually in Philippians the first eight verses of chapter two, but but I'm I'm going to start in verse chapter uh, chapter one verse twenty seven, and 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 as as we just understand this issue of what it means to thrive, what it means to thrive in life, and more specifically this morning about what it means to have a heart that thrives because. The Bible says that my heart or your heart thrives when there's unity in your life. In other words, that that when there's unity in marriage or there's unity in relationships or there's unity in a church or there's unity in a business or there's unity in a community community in fact is when you just start looking at scripture you realize that god has a lot to say about unity it was unbelievable how many places in scripture god talks about this issue of unity how many times paul talked about it how many times james talked about it how many times jesus talked about it i'm just telling this issue of unity is a big deal to god i mean it's just a big deal to God. the fact is the scripture says that god blesses unity in fact, there's a scripture on the other side of that says God hates division. And God will never bless division, but God blesses unity. Because when there's unity in a church, man, there is just great power. The fact is, when there's unity in a church, a community will set up and take notice because it's part of our testimony that we're different than the community. We're different than the world. The fact is, in Psalms 133.1, here's what the scripture says. The scripture says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. In other words, our heart thrives. We were made for unity. We were made for community. The fact is that psalm goes on and talks about the blessings of unity. Uh, When there is unity, the blessings that happen. Listen, if you do not have unity in your relationships, then your heart will never thrive. This principle is just so important. In fact, there's, there's very few things that the Scripture says that God hates. And one of them, watch this, Proverbs 6.19, it's where it's where he gives the laundry list. In Proverbs 6.19, he says, he says, this is one thing that he hates, a false witness who breathes out lies. In other words, it's just continual. It's continual gossip and slander and talking about people, and, and you just cannot trust that person. And then he goes on and says, and one who, who sows discord among the brothers. In other words, the one who, who just causes division and causes problems and and in in the scripture talks about this u- issue of unity and and in scripture talks a lot about what destroys unity is the words that we use the things that we say it's our mouth it's our tongue what James says in fact as many years ago is kind of a funny story uh, i thought I, I thought i wanted to buy a motorcycle until i talked to my wife and uh <laughs> and so it's like many, I, I had a motorcycle at 13, and I've always wanted another motorcycle. And so Justin McVeigh, who was a youth pastor on staff at the time, he was thinking about getting a motorcycle. He hadn't been here long, and he was thinking about getting a motorcycle. So I said, hey, I'll buy one with you, and we'll go riding together. And then, you know, I could talk to my wife, and, and uh, it just seems like not a good idea. And so Justin, Justin I told Justin, hey, I'm not going to get one. And Justin's like, well, you know, why don't you buy one, and you can just keep it at my house? I was like, that's why you're the youth pastor, <laughs> for ideas like that. And so I was like, that? <laughs> was like no. But, but I still remember, so I'm going through Craigslist, and I come across this, this ad for a guy that's selling a motorcycle. And, and, and I was just thinking about this issue of unity. Here, here, here's what it says. I, I cut out his phone number. Uh, I still want to call him, but here, here's what he says. This quote, motorcycle, Suzuki. GSXR 1000 costs $9,000. This bike is perfect, only 1,000 miles on it, and has had its 500-mile dealer service. I am selling it because it was purchased without the proper consent of a loving wife. (laughs) You talk about sowing disunity in a marriage. He just threw her under the bus in front of everybody on Craigslist, but he doesn't stop. And then he goes, apparently, then in quotations, do whatever you want, doesn't mean what I thought. Call Steve. <laughs> Sometimes it's the stuff that we say, right? It's the things that we say that sows discord, that, that hurts the unity in relationships. So Paul moves in. I'm telling you, this is such an important principle for us to get as a church. This is such an important principle for your marriage, for your family, for your home, for, for, for your business, for your wherever relationships are. I'm just telling you. This issue of unity is so important for us to get. See, we live in a time that, you know what? We live in a time where people, people think it's popular to sow discord or it's better or division. Philippians 1.27, here's what it says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. And here he goes. is talking about unity. And you need to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the gospel. In other words, that you're in it together. You understand you're on the same team. That God's called you together. And you are in it together. And you're going to struggle side by side in this issue of unity with one spirit, with one mind, with one heart. That, you know what, we're, we're going to think the best of each other. We're going to come to the place where we're just going to, we're going to believe in each other, we're going to think the best in each other and not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But of your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him but also but also suffer for His sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And so Paul is pressing in in this church and he's pressing in on us and he's helping us to understand that unity never happens by accident. If there is unity in your marriage, if there's unity in your family, if there's unity in your church, if there's unity in your relationship, if there's unity in in a sports team, it doesn't happen by accident. Fact is, it takes hard work. Unity does not happen by accident. It takes, it takes you and I being intentional about that. See, the Bible is clear that we thrive, and we know this, we thrive in areas, and our heart thrives in areas where there's unity, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in circumstances, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in church, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in the community, whether it's, whether, whether it's any area of life where you find people. The Bible talks about this issue of unity. Because listen, nothing much is ever accomplished alone, right? Right? we were made for unity we were made for community and so when when you look at life one of of the reasons that so many people like like lose joy or have or or, or have unhappiness is because of disunity because of strange relationship division listen division and, and conflict will kill the joy out of your life and your heart will not thrive and so paul begins helping us understand how do we handle conflict and unity is the key to this Unity is a root issue. A lot of times we talk about division and we talk about what they said did, but Paul would say it's this issue of unity. Because where there is unity, there's tremendous power. Listen, I'm just talking about church. All success in church happens in an atmosphere of unity, and fails in an atmosphere of disunity. We can all tell stories where churches split and churches went wrong, and all and it's all disunity. There's there's a problem sometimes when people have their personal opinions and and they don't get along, and they don't know how to reserve. They don't know how to um, reduce conflict in their life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 8 is our focal passage, and here's what the Scripture says. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by... And here we go. He goes again about this issue of unity. Being of same mind, having the same love be in full accord of one purpose. I mean, you just get the idea that Paul would say unity is a big deal. Unity is a big deal. You can go look at Ephesians. You can look, look at any of the letters that he's written. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul gives us, in these eight verses, Paul gives us three ways, three three things that have to be in place if your heart's going to thrive, if my heart is going to thrive. The first one is this. My heart thrives when I value others. My heart thrives when I value others, when I believe the best in you and you believe the best in me. There is like unity happening. And so when I when I, when I I value others, what Paul says, my heart thrives. That's why in verse 3 he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In other words, what happens a lot of times when it's in marriage or in church, people, people are all on the same team, and they're in it together, but oftentimes they begin to compete with one another, and they compete with people that they're on the same team with. Instead of what Paul says, driving side by side, we should complement one another, but because of conflicting desires. I'm not talking about doctrines. I'm not talking about the important stuff. I'm talking about personal opinions. Because we have conflicting desires There's conflict, I mean verse 3 That's why he says, do nothing Do nothing out of selfish ambition I mean, the, the, the scripture talks About never acting From motives of rivalry I mean, as kids, and you had Brothers and sisters, if you had brothers and sisters We had sibling rivalries And you competed with brothers And you competed with sisters, I mean a, As grandparents, we're just watching this As is, is our, our grandsons are A little bit over three and, and two And And so early in life, they're competing with one another. Who can throw the ball farther or rock farther or or who can run faster and all those other things. And and the sad thing is there's a lot of adults that still have sibling rivalries and they're still trying to prove that I'm I'm better than that person. I'm better than that guy. I mean, James answers this question about what causes quarrels, what causes division among us. And and it's a rhetorical question that he asks. He answers it. I just wish he would have answered it a different way. Are you ever like that in Scripture? And so here's what James says. James says, what causes quarrels and, and causes fights among you, is it not this, that your passions that are war within you? I, I'm like, I wish you would have said it's their fault. <laughs> I wish you would have said it's because of their desires. I wish you would have said, but James, I think you said it's partly my fault. That's what James is saying. It's because of these desires, that, and we're going to understand that, it's because of these desires that are within you. In other words, competing desires cause difficulty, causes conflict in relationships. When my needs, when my desires conflict with your desires, we can have trouble. We can have difficulty. I mean, we just live in a competitive world. That's what Paul says again in, in verse 3. He just says, do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Listen, when, when God is working in the midst of believers, God is the focus. But when division happens, when conflict happens, guess what? I'm the focus. My desires are the focus. My personal opinions are the focus. In other words, it's it's this community where everybody is doing their own thing for their own benefit and not for the benefit of others, not for the benefit of the body, and not how it will affect others. In other words, where people say, you know what? If if I don't get my way, if I don't get my way, I'm mad. If my desire... You know what? If I don't get my way, I'll break off my relationship with you. In other words, it's it's just not understanding that guess what? We're in this together. Every one of us has to settle the question of why are we in church and I mean, why are you in church? And someone say, "Well, I'm in church because of the children's ministry, or student ministry, or 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 or, or missions, or whatever." Well, what happens? When that children's ministry struggles? What happens when that youth ministry struggles? What happens when missions struggle? Because the reason that we're in church is because of our own self-interest. If I don't get my way, man, I'm out of here. I'll quit. I'll go down the road. And the reason that we build a church, the reason that we're in this together is because of God's vision, because of the gospel, and because of the kingdom of God is advanced. I mean. You have to answer that question in relationship. Why why are you in in marriage? Why are you married? Is it because you want to be happy? Is it because you don't want to be lonely? Well, what happens when you go through a difficult time of marriage? What happens when you go through a difficult season of marriage and you're not happy? What happens when you go through a season of marriage that's difficult, and even though you're in marriage, you just feel all alone. You just feel lonely. See, the reason that you're married has to be stronger than the stress you're under. You won't stay married. See, Paul is trying to help us understand is that we need to value others. We need to believe the best in one another. We need to understand that, guess what? We're striving, we're struggling, we're toiling together side by side. Proverbs 13.10 says this about this issue of pride and this issue of ego and elevating our personal opinions and elevating our desires. And he says this, he says, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Another place in, in Proverbs it says that pride always goes before the fall. Pride always goes before destruction. Now, listen. If you're in Texas, if, in Texas we have have a saying, and we put things simple, but you just kind of remember them. And so we have a we have a saying in Texas Texas that goes along with pride goes before the fall. Pride goes before destruction. And it's just a common saying in Texas. It is is this that if a person gets too big for their britches they will be eventually exposed in the end. <laughs> you know what's funny with statements like that, jokes like that? Is that there's always rolling laughter. Some of you are quicker than others. Some of you laugh on your way home say, Oh, I got that. <laughs> Let's just go on. So, that's why in verse 3 he says, But in humility count others more significant than yourselves and what he's saying is this is guess what we have to work hard to decrease criticism. When he says consider others more significant than yourselves, he doesn't mean superior. what he means is this worthy of respect in other words I value you and I, I believe everybody is worthy of respect and I and I value that you and you treat them as if they're worthy of respect. Humility is when you're focused on others and not just yourself. So the first thing is this: if your heart is going to thrive, you got to value people. You got to believe the best in one another instead of jumping. So, why is it so easy for some people to believe the worst in one another instead of the best? Everybody, anybody ever believed the worst in you, and it was, it, isn't it devastating? Doesn't it hurt, especially when it's off of gossip and rumor and judgment? And Something someone else said. So the first thing is this, if your heart is going to thrive, you've got to value people. Second thing is this, is that if your heart is going to thrive, I have to be considerate to others. When my heart thrives, and my heart thrives when I just come to the place where I'm just considerate of others, verse 4 in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now listen, so we're just clear this morning the Bible says that, that we should demonstrate enough self-concern so that we you would feed yourself, you would rest yourself, you'd find safety, you'd find shelter, that each one of us should have enough self-respect so that you would not allow people to manipulate you, to violate you, to abuse you, to intimidate you, to hurt you, or any of those other things. The Bible also says that every one of us should have enough self-esteem we believe that there is a God in heaven that loves us, that has sent His Son Jesus Christ to this earth, that took on human form, that died on the cross for us, and that we matter to Him, and that we are deeply loved by Him, and that He is a good Father. And, and, and so we need to understand those things, but, but the Scripture is also very clear about this issue of unity. Unity is a choice. Remember last week we talked about joy that thrives, and we talked about joy as a choice. In other words, this is not up to circumstances or situations or people, but it's a choice to choose joy. Well, guess what? So is unity. And unity is a choice. And the problem with unity is this, is that the flesh is always with you. And I, every one of us should be able to make this statement. And every one of us should be able to understand this statement. Uh, and the statement is this. I can, ju- I can be just as divisive as the next person. And so can you. See, there's a lot of people that get into this mode and think everybody else is divisive. Everybody else is divisive. Everybody else is hurtful but me. And the truth is this. I can be just as divisive as anyone else because the flesh the flesh is always with us. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 17, here's what the scripture says. He says for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the the flesh. For those for these are opposed to each other to keep you listen to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but, and and here's the opposite, here's the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become, let us not become conceited, provoking, provoking one another, envying one another. And the Bible, says, the Bible says this, the Bible says that the person that's living out of the flesh, the person that only cares about themselves, that only looks at their self-interest, is a dangerous individual, that these people that only care about their desires and only care about their personal opinions and only care about their needs, these, these people will destroy marriages, will destroy relationships, will destroy friendships, will destroy business, will destroy churches. In other words, what Paul is saying, we need to come to this place. That we're considerate of everybody, and we believe that everybody's worthy of respect, and 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 we understand, and we because of that we decrease our criticism. Man, for some, it's just natural, but Paul says we have to work at this, because listen, when, when you're critical of others, whether you realize it or not, what you're communicating is this: I'm better than you. What you're communicating is this, I'm judging you. Listen, for some, it, it's so much easier to criticize someone else. It's so much easier to criticize someone else's character rather than work on our character. It's easier to criticize someone else's life instead of just work on our life. And so what Paul's saying is this, this issue of criticism is just so dangerous. Now, this illustration is a personal illustration. It's kind of a painful moment in my life. But um, but in, 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 in 95, 96, when we started this church, I... I had never preached to adults. I, I had a student ministry uh, to youth at risk, the Crips, the Bloods, the Little Latin Kings in Houston, Texas, and so, so I'm preaching for the first time. And, and what what a, uh, what a lot of people don't know. Well, let me just tell you the story. And so um, I I I'd preached a, I'd preached a sermon, and I was I was really really nervous and tired and stressed. And uh, and so I had this individual that came up to me first time in our church he he listened to my sermon he came up to me and he had a bulletin and he pulled the bulletin out and he said hey he introduced himself to me and he says hey by the way uh, I've, I've critiqued your sermon and so I looked on his sheet of paper on the bulletin and he had all these check marks tick marks where he and then words next to it where he counted off he said this is this is the number of words that you mispronounced and he told me the words that I mispronounced Here's, here's, the, here's the words that shouldn't have been said, you know, and, you know and, and so he went through, and I mean, it was just a long list. Here, here's some improper grammar, here's some words you mispronounced, and, and all those other things. And so I was literally horrified. Uh, you know what? What he didn't know is that years earlier I'd, I'd had Bell's palsy. And so the right side of my face had, had, uh, had, had been paralyzed for like four or five months. And so I recovered. But whenever I'm tired and whenever I'm stressed, the right side of my face droops. And that's how Karen can always tell when I'm tired or stressed. You know, so I try to walk (laughs) around the house like this when I'm that way. (laughs) And uh, he didn't know my story. You know what I heard from him? You can't preach. I, I honestly, it was so hurtful, I thought about quitting and going back to engineering. I hadn't been out of engineering long. I said, I, I just, I, I can't do this. See, he didn't, he didn't know my story. See, sometimes when we criticize, we don't know that person's story. We don't know what they're working through. We don't we don't know what they're dealing with. I, I remember being so horrified about this. I asked this guy. I was just shocked. And there was a sea of people all around. And I'm like, hey, can I ask you something? Did you get anything out of the sermon? Did God speak to you? And he says, no because of your improper grammar and because of mispronunciation of words your fault criticism I'm I'm just telling you criticism will keep you from hearing from God because it is easier it is easier to criticize someone else's character someone else's life someone else's imperfection rather than just like work on your stuff that's why James said this in in James 4.11 he says do not speak evil against one another Brothers, the one who speaks against a, a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver giver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor in the margin of my leather bound Bible? I have I've written next to that scripture. I just written had, have written these words or this statement that says, "Whenever I judge, I am playing God. Whenever I judge, I'm p- putting myself in the place of God." And see, the problem with criticism, the co- tr- problem with being judgmental, is it, it it it's just so easy. But see, Paul and James and 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 Jesus' ministry understood and taught on the 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 the. the, the that, that unity and that when we have unity our heart thrives listen unified believers have more potential than divided believers listen a unified home has more potential than a divided home a unified marriage has way more potential than a divided marriage a unified sports team right has way more potential than a divided sports team and what scripture tells us is this God will never bless disunity And God hates division. God hates it. And God, when God sees unity, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a community, he blesses it. And so we have to come to the place where we learn to deal biblically and effectively with division. Matthew 18, 15, he says this. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Some of us need to circle that word alone. You don't go to 15 friends before you go to that person. You don't sow discord. You don't change another's opinion about an individual because you've been hurt by them, because you're upset with them. The Scripture says this. The Scripture says you go to them alone. Listen, we hurt people, and we hurt friends when we don't push friends into unity. When we understand the danger of discord, when we understand the danger of gossip and slander and rumors. Listen, you don't help anybody. When you affirm them in their feelings of gossip and judgment and slander, that is not a ministry. A ministry is this, when we understand the unity of the church and we're willing to push people so that their heart can thrive into, into forgiveness and into conversations that are honest and transparent. Listen, your friends will never find healing if you're affirming their feelings of gossip and slander and division and judge, judgment and not walking with them and encouraging them and then pushing them into unity. The most hurtful and irresponsible thing you can do to your friends is not to push them towards healing and unity. Man, I'm telling you, when you affirm them, the enemy is at work. We have to establish a culture of honesty and unity because our friends will never find healing and unity. Their heart will never thrive when they just keep nursing unforgiveness and gossip and slander and all that other stuff. I want my heart to thrive and I know you do too and I want it to thrive in church and in marriage and home and relationships 1 Peter 3 7 says this he said, likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way show an honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered listen you cannot separate out your relationship with people from your relationship with God you just cannot do that That's why Paul said in verse 4 again, let each one of you not not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The last thing is this. The last thing is for your heart to thrive is this, is when I develop Christ's likeness. When I come to the place and I just develop Christ's likeness. Verse 5, have this mind, mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, this, Jesus was the master of relationships. And when you look at Jesus' life, You can understand how to handle relationships when you have the same attitude that he had. Verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't demand his rights, he didn't defend his rights. Fact is, there were some times he gave up his rights. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. In other words, he had a serving attitude. How do you know if you have a serving attitude? How do you respond when someone asks you to serve? How do you respond when someone asks you to serve around the house? How do, you ha- how do you respond when someone asks you to serve in church and in ministry? How do you respond when people treat you like a servant, verse 8? And found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, Jesus Christ was willing to sacrifice himself for the benefit of the body for the benefit of others. Jesus' last prayer for us is that we would be one. Here's his prayer in John 17, 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's part of our testimony, that the glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and loved them as you have loved me. In other words, this we have to be willing to fight for unity. We have to be willing to fight for unity in our marriage. We have to be willing to fight for unity in ministry. That's why Jesus said in Matthew sixteen twenty four. He says, then Jesus said, told his disciples, if anyone would come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will will find it. And we just have to come to the place to where we understand unity. And we focus on what we have in common because every one of us can find a point of division. And that's why Paul encouraged us, and I'm not going to read the verse again in Philippians 1.27, just to strive side by side with one another. Man, when we focus, when we just come to the place that we focus on unities, that's why Jesus said in John thirteen thirty-five, He said this: "By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another." That's how they'll know. Fact is, the way that we love one another in this body should be attracting this community to us. I told you, instead of a motorcycle, I I took up golf. It was a lot safer and cheaper. <laughs> and, it, and it allowed me to have unity at home. Uh, <laughs> one of the first books I read on golf was from Bob Rotola, which Bob Rotola is a sports psychologist. And, it, and the name of the book is Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. And Bob Rotola is famous for this statement. And he's famous for the statement of this, that it is an impossible, psychologically speaking, it is impossible to take a wrong... to change a wrong thought into a right action it's just impossible it's impossible and so our thought as believers should be this i will build unity wherever i go because that's who i am i'm a christ follower would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes with your heads bowed and eyes closed let me just ask you what is what is god saying to you as a result of this message what is he saying to you as a result of his word And more importantly, what is your next step? Because every one of us has a next step. Maybe this morning it's not a next step for you. Maybe it's a first step. Maybe you've never come to the place to where you've understood who Jesus is and and what he's offered you. And you've just come to the place to where you've been a Christ follower and you've asked him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. But maybe you've already done that. And maybe as a believer, what is your next step? Do you need to protect the unity? Do you need to work harder on unity and the relationships that are around you? Whether it's in marriage, whether it's in friendships, relationships, whether it's in a life group, whether it's in, 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 in church, in ministry, whether it's in the community. Instead of always finding a point of division, you just come to that place. So you know what? For me, I'm going to work on Unity because it's in the midst of unity that my heart will thrive and I'm going to push people around me towards unity. And I'm going to choose unity over my best friend because I know what's at stake. I know what's at stake because I want my heart to thrive and I want people around me for their heart just to thrive and I want to help them. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, I, I just need prayer. I'm going through a time of my life, and I, 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 I just have this prayer request. I just have this need. Well, we want to pray for you. So in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, I'm just going to invite you just real quickly. That is, If you need prayer, that as you stand up, would you step out, begin making your way down to the front. You don't have to walk along. People be walking with you. And we'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. In fact, this is one of of the one-anothers of Scripture where we pray for one another, encourage one another, support one another, love one another, admonish one another. So if you need prayer, you don't have to be a member of Fellowship the Rockies. This is not about membership. This is about ministry. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, after I pray, we stand. As you stand up, you just make your way down to the front. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for your grace. And, Father, we thank you for just the power of your name. Father, we thank you for the power of unity, that when we're unified as believers, that we have much power. And it's in that atmosphere that we just pray for one another, we just encourage one another, we just support one another. Father, may we just live that out now. Would, would people find encouragement, comfort, and support? For we ask these saints in Jesus' name, amen.